Hey everybody, welcome to episode two of the Eat Well, Move Well podcast. Uh, I'm Roland Denzel, and you are? Galena Denzel, and it's really cool to be here for episode two. Yeah, it's been about two weeks since our first one, and uh, it's, it's fun to get back at this. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what's been happening since uh, since since we did this last. Yeah, well, the biggest thing, I think, is that now you can get the podcast on iTunes. I entirely have to thank Roland for figuring out. And Sean. And Sean, our friend, our friend for figuring out. He talks me down off a ledge every time. Because you think it's so easy and you do all these things because all everybody on the internet has a podcast and is able to, to figure this out. So you just follow the instructions and it never works. So Sean was able to talk me down off the uh, internet ledge and uh, help me get this thing up into iTunes. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. I just see the Facebook updates. Oh, it's up. I'm like, yeah, sweet. Uh, I have no idea the type of work that goes uh, on the technical side of programming and code and all of that stuff that Roland understands very well. Um, so I'm just sitting here in awe going, oh, it's on iTunes, I'm happy. So now I'm subscribed to our own podcast um, through iTunes, and I'm happy to get it yeah, downloaded so, as it goes up. Yeah, so if you're listening to this now because you manually downloaded it, you can now go to the, the link to the podcast on our website and click on subscribe through iTunes. It'll take you straight over there. You click subscribe, and it'll start downloading automatically as they uh, as we release them. Yeah, and then you get to sync your uh, device, and uh, you get to listen to us every couple weeks, which is pretty cool. So the biggest thing that's been up since the last time we talked is that we now actually have a print, real print copy of uh, the Man on Top book. Yep, and it's got uh, the, the cover, and it's, on, it's printed just like you would buy it in a store. It's awesome. So it's it, really exciting. It's beautiful. We're very excited, and uh, big thanks to... Uh, Diana, my partner in Bulgaria, for uh, making a beautiful cover. Uh, we love the colors, we love the shine, we love all the all the cool text in the back that you get to read yourself when you have the book. And now it's just uh, a few minor changes, and uh, we should be able to get it on Amazon in about a week, uh, both the printed and um, the Kindle version. So we're talking like a little bit after Thanksgiving. And uh, as we're going into Thanksgiving week, uh, we're very thankful to all of you that have been listening and that have given us feedback on our first one and that have been very kind since we're not doing editing. This, yes. is, this is kind of fun. That's the real deal. It is what it is. Um, so, what's up? In the last couple of weeks, there's been some cool news and uh, we want to start getting into recent things that we talk about Um between each other and uh, with our clients and just shared them with you. So Roland, tell us about Prop 37. That's the big deal from yeah, a week ago. Yeah, I was very disappointed that Prop 37, we live in California, and in order to, to pass these laws, they call them you know, propositions, they put them on the ballot, and uh, Prop 37 would have required manu- food manufacturers with uh, that used GMO genetically mo- modified organisms in, as ingredients, if they used them, they would have had to la- uh, change their label to indicate that they had GMO foods in the, in the product. And we were, you know, early polling said that it was going to pass by about 70%. And in the end, it actually lost by about 
you know, like by like a, a five percent margin. So it wasn't huge, but it was an, obviously enough to lose. It was a big hit. I was I was very disappointed because rarely is the public given the chance to really claim their right to real food or at least the right to know what's in their food. And, you know, it's funny. It's like if you, you know, the people on... I have friends that are more conservative. I have friends that are more liberal. And pretty much everybody agreed that um, they wanted to know what was in their food and that they should... So it's kind of hard, you know... I mean, I know people who voted against it, but I think a lot of it was through... Because of the misinformation. The, the commercials against it. They spent, like... Close to like forty six million. Forty six million dollars against it, defending against it. Um, the the food manufacturers and the chemical companies, like Kraft, Kraft Foods and General Mills, they all donated tons of money against it. Um, and on the opposite side, the four Prop thirty seven people, I think they raised. Like six million? Six million or four million. It was like yeah, a very small it w- it amount. It was a very small amount. But it also shows the the amount of interest that corporations have in maintaining the status quo. This is like a David and Goliath thing. It's like the regular people, the small farmer and the natural food producer, the people who make regular food and sell regular food were for it. And the people in the huge food companies and the huge chemical companies were against it. What are they hiding? Well, the the thing is, I don't care if somebody wants to go out there and buy whatever they want to buy. If they want to buy organic cobra venom, let them have it. If they want to get the artificial, yeah, if they want to get the artificial GMO cobra venom, that's fine too. But we have the right to know, and um, just like we have nutrition labels now that allow us to see ingredients that your child may be allergic to. Uh, you want you have the right to know and to be informed. And when people vote against the right to know, there's always some reasoning in their mind that is hard for me to get. Um, but that's what it is. It lost, and now that it's lost, there's like a big groundswell of people that um, are trying to make us aware of which companies uh, funded for, which companies funded against. Um, Lo- Roland posted something last week about. Um, too bad Larabar is uh, owned by a company that actually supported um, No and Prop 37. I think, it, I think it's General Mills. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so Larabar itself does not contain GMO products. It's a cool product. It's delicious. It's organic. And just so you know, if something's organic, it can't contain... The law already is if it's organic, it cannot contain... It cannot be labeled organic if it has GMO foods in it. So that's one way to tell. We have an article on there on, yeah. on the Fit Inc. of other ways ways to tell something is not GMO. So yeah, you can go and do a little yeah. bit of reading there. Um, but Larabar itself doesn't have genetically modified organisms in it, but it's owned by a company that supported the no. And they thought it was important enough to to donate two hundred and fifty million dollars. Really? No, no. I'm sorry, two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Okay. Well, they probably thought it was worth $250 million, but... No, it's called a, a, a gazillion dollars. A gazillion dollars, yeah. No matter how many gazillion dollars you donate, um, you know, people vote with their money. So, ultimately, you know, it's up to people what they want to buy, whether they want to go to the farmer's market or they want to go to a conventional store, whether they want to go and buy, 
you know, humanely raised beef or you want to go and buy mass produced beef. It's, it's up to you and, and, and you're voting with your money more or less. Yeah. So one way to do that is like in the case of the Lara bar, even though it's a tasty product, um, you can search out alternatives that are, you know, similar and that, uh, that aren't owned by a parent company or that do actively promote the avoiding GMOs. Yeah. So the pure bar, um, if you look on their website and it's in that, is it in the article? It's in the, I don't know if it's in the, it's in one of your Facebook rants for oh, sure. Oh yes. Okay. Well, I'll put a link in there, but the, the pure bar is, um, it's similar in taste yeah. and texture. It has a little more protein. So that's kind of a good thing. It's more of a food bar than just a fruit dessert. Like it's a not Lara too bar. sweet. Yeah. yeah. And it's pretty good, and they actively donate and support the non-GMO project. Yeah. So that's good. So if you're passionate about GMOs, um, like um, we are, um, that's something to to consider. And um, it was funny reading uh, Sean Croxton's uh, article after Prop 37 didn't pass. And uh, for those of you that don't know, Sean is... Uh, um, the author of Underground Wellness, and he does uh, all sorts of summits and educational events online. And he's a he's a great guy. And uh, he was uh, upset, and uh, his um, rant was uh, more in line with, uh, "Look at how little money we have to fight, and look at how much money these big guys have to fight." So ultimately, you know, the next time we do this, we got to be better equipped, and we got to be better equipped financially. Uh, because who's going to get their message across on television? You know, the one who has the money to, to fund advertising. And it's, it's kind of sad, the world we live in. But it's also a very cool world because we can share those thoughts with you. Yep. And you get to make your choices. Um, another passion of Roland's high heel shoes. <laughs> hey. Hey. I wasn't <laughs> supposed to tell. Um, but... Um, that's another thing that was in the news. Yeah. And, the, you know, I thought it was interesting because um, Dahlia, as a restorative exercise specialist, one of her passions is teaching women about foot care. And um, as many women know, uh, it, it hurts their feet to wear high heels. But sometimes they wear them, you know, day in and day out. And... Um, Pretty soon it hurts to wear flats or to go, to go barefoot. But it's so fashionable that they, you know, in a lot of jobs, women feel obligated. And that's like the only way to fit in is to wear high heels. So, <coughs> excuse me. There was an article on the Wall Street Journal mm-hmm. online that, um, talked about the presence, uh, suddenly of flatter shoes with the runway models. Yeah. So all of a sudden, there's all these cuter and more, you know, glamorous, more glamorous, more acceptable flats that, um, you know, they're not your typical ballet flats. They they kind of take it to the next level with materials and textures and shapes, and uh, maybe making the flat a little bit more culturally acceptable and um, more available to women who really hold themselves to some uh, fashion standard that they weren't able to um, have met before with uh, simpler flat shoes. They don't, just so you know, they don't do this. They have no interest in health. Yeah. This is all like a a fashion trend. They need the new thing. So this is the new thing 
it just so happens that if this new thing catches on, it's going to be good news for uh, women in in business and women who follow fashion and want to emulate those things because they will suddenly have, you know, it'll seem like they have permission to wear lower shoes now. And, and this is a common thing that happens is somebody will come to a workshop with me or to, to one of my classes or, you know, they'll come for a consultation and we'll, we'll have a footwear education talk uh, one of the first times we meet. And, um, People literally say, but you don't know, uh, I really need to wear a shoe that looks more formal. And it just so happens that most flat shoes look kind of sporty, casual, you know, they don't look formal. Something that um, the Wall Street Journal isn't going to write about um, now, but hopefully in the future, is how do you graduate um, from a high heel to a smaller heel to a flat shoe to barefoot? Uh, and if you remember a couple years ago with Born to Run, uh, the book, and all of these runners that suddenly wanted to go from their super cushy high shoes into five-finger shoes and barefoot running and, you know, a more minimal yeah. style shoe, they were having problems um, because having the foot uh, being accustomed to a higher heel also me certain relationships, you know, in, in your muscles and your, and your bones and your joints and, uh, a certain way of distributing weight, uh, in different places of the foot and different sections of the foot. So you can't just go from zero to hero. You can't just go from your stilettos down to a ballet flat and feel glamorous the first day. And um, you can't go from a super cushioned and built running shoe into a five-finger shoe and run on concrete. So it takes some graduation. Um, Katie Bowman, um, the um, owner of the Restorative Exercise Institute, who's uh, also my mentor and uh, great role model, uh, wrote a great book called um, Every Woman's Guide to Foot Pain. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes. You can get it on Amazon. And it's a very, very simple book that explains how you can graduate your feet from uh, a more built, higher shoe to a more flat shoe. Um, there's some really simple and cool exercises, very um, interesting ways that you can learn to spread your toes again, that you can mobilize them, the front part of your foot, that you can stretch the calf muscles and uh, be in great shape to wear these flatter shoes. And, you know, guys have similar problems, just not as dramatic. I mean, guys, dress guys, shoes don't have, like... Guys, like like cross-dresser guys? No, but guys that... <laughs> oh, guy guys. Guys that wear suits to work. They wear uh, dress shoes that have, you know, it's probably an inch heel or sometimes an See, inch and a half. I never think about that because you wear such flat shoes. No, I do. But, but, you know, my dress, if I wear a suit, I wear shoes that have a pretty big heel. You just don't. I don't wear a I suit never, every day. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I don't So, work. but for years, I had to wear a suit every day, and I wore shoes with pretty significant heels, and my uh, athletic shoes used to have a pretty big heel, and and I never, I rarely did any, I didn't do anything active barefoot. I went barefoot in the house, but never really active, and all of my athletic shoes were, had heels and were pretty cushy, so... Um, a couple of years ago when I had plantar fasciitis, um, and then I decided that, you know, I was treating that. I also did a lot of research back then and decided that maybe even though the, the going heelless wasn't the, the fix to the plantar fasciitis, I needed to lower it just to, 
or just for foot for overall foot health. Yeah. And um, it took a while. I had to, you know, a one step of shoes in between. So mm. I bought lower shoes and then lower shoes again. And then pretty soon, the good news is you can go back and forth. Like just because you work your way down to, to lower shoes doesn't mean you can't wear heels. Sometimes if you have to for work. Yeah, but, but, but then once you have a protocol on how to stretch yeah. and how to recover your feet from the high heel hangover, it's, it's yeah. so much better. And you just don't want to live in them. It's funny because, you know, our bodies are so intelligent and they can kind of tell you if you're there to listen. Um, one of my clients this week shared since she's been doing her uh, foot and calf stretches two, three times a day and she's really been uh, diligent. She said, you know what? Um, I spent a week um, not wearing my walking shoes and just stretching and being in a more minimal shoe. And then I put my walking shoes back on that she bought from the walking store. Uh, these Mizuno shoes that look really cool. Uh, she said, I put them back on and my feet are just cramping and I feel horrible. And I said, well, what that tells me is that your foot has gained some uh, mobility and some um, understanding of the space it needs to take. So now it's feeling constricted in that shoe. Um, if, if you give a small child that shoe, it'll cry and take the shoe off. It's only the grown-ups that can actually push themselves and convince themselves that whatever they bought is better than what their body's telling them. Well, I had a similar story about, it was like two months ago when we needed to take some pictures. So I got some, like the nicest athletic shoe that, that I have for pictures is my Nike Freeze, which were my in-between shoe, mm. you know, from regular like cross trainers. Then I moved down to the Nike 3, two, was it 3.0? Yeah. The 3.0s, which is sort of like a moderate heel, but still pretty like. You know, not very much art support. And um, then after that, I went to like Converse All-Stars, which are totally flat and have no art support at all. So when we're taking these pictures after about like half an hour of walking around in these pictures and trying to exercise in these things, my feet were killing me. My my uh, my insole, uh, my, insole my arch mm-hmm. was aching and my, uh, my forefoot was just aching from the pressure of being forward on your toes. Yeah. And eventually, <laughs> I had to take them off, and because uh, they they just hurt so bad. So I just can't wear those shoes anymore because they have, even though they're considered a shoe with little support, yeah, and hardly any heel, they have too much heel for me now to wear for any length of time, and they have way too much arch support. Yeah. Well, for me, uh, after I started wearing more five finger shoes and being more barefoot, um, going back into Nike Freeze is like being in a vice. It's like I feel so restricted and uh, I will wear them for looks for like half an hour, but I will never wear them for, for performance. I prefer to do most of my activities barefoot, but I don't do any high impact stuff like I won't go running barefoot. Talking about barefoot shoes, um, we're going to put a link in the show notes. Uh, one of my uh, colleagues from uh, my Restorative Exercise Institute internship group, uh, Debbie Bean, she's an awesome crafts person. And uh, she... A cobbler. <laughs> she made her own beautiful, beautiful... Uh, Her- Harachis. Very, very minimal shoes, yes. What are they called? Harachis. Yes. So very similar to what... Um, you know, tribes would uh, wear for running, the mm-hmm. Tarahumara. Yeah. Yeah, those Mexican 
tribes that can run a million miles and uh, win all the marathons in the world. So she made those for herself, and then uh, she made me a pair, and I just got those. Uh, they're amazing. Thank you so much. And we're going to put a link in the show notes um, how to make your own if, if you're crafty. I'm not. I was just lucky to meet somebody who can make them for me. Uh, so I'm looking forward to a couple of warmer days here in Southern California where I can sport my new ultra-minimal horachis. Yes. That's a hard word for me in English. They're pretty nice looking. They're very they're very cute. I'll probably uh, show off in a couple of days on Facebook. You'll be able to see them. So from GMOs to high heels to Twinkies, what's going on? Yeah. The big news was a couple last couple of days. Can you explain? We have audience in Europe that has probably oh. never seen a Twinkie. Can you explain what it is? Yeah, Twinkie is a little baked good. It looks like a, uh, almost like a, like a, you know what a Quonset hut is? No. Oh. Gosh, what is it? It's like a, it's sort of like a tube. It's like, it's like a cake with cream filling. So it's like a fluffy cake. Fluffy cake, sort of yellow cake. Okay. And it's sort of like a tube or a, like a hill. Uh, it's really hard to describe. We might have to find a picture of it. No wonder they went bankrupt. <laughs> but it's really spongy and artificial. Okay. But it's a company called Hostess, which is our biggest, like, for years has been our biggest sort of snack food mm-hmm. treat company. So have the Twinkies been around for a long time and now they're becoming yeah, the stores, extinct? Yeah. The 1940, I think, is when the company was founded. And um, I think... They, they have little cupcakes that they sell. They have these things called ding-dongs, which look like hockey pucks that are chocolate. And they're, it's a very, like, strange plastic. Are they, like, super delicious? Chocolate. I've never had those things. Well. And it's not because I stay away from this food. It's because I didn't live in America for many, many years. I've only been here a short while, so I haven't had a chance to try these. They're not delicious by things. today's standards. Like, I think what happened is, like, when they, these things came out and when your kids... There weren't a lot of like. I mean, you can go to a, like a convenience store or a gas station now, and you can get cookies that were freshly ba- like were baked from a regular bakery, mm. and they're soft cookies, soft cookies, fresh cookies. Um, you can get, you know, donuts that are, were made at an actual donut shop mm-hmm. and, and brought in, and you can get, you know. So like higher quality, higher quality cupcakes and muffins that, with using modern. I mean, I, I, I don't. It's not quality, but it's modern, more modern, I guess, chemicals and baking <laughs> techniques, so they taste better. Yeah. But by you know, seventy years ago, when these things came out, you know, they were the first things on the market. So you either would have to go to a regular bakery. Or you would get get these because they were the only things that were shelf stable to okay. be at a at a store, and so they were probably less expensive then too than than the higher quality stuff you'd get at a bakery. And um, but by today's standards, they just taste weird. You can find something that's better at any you know. So are uh, they? Our tastes have changed. So the news is that that company's gone bankrupt. Yes, and they've gone bankrupt before, but this is the time they've gone. They're going. They went bankrupt four years ago, I think. This time they've gone bankrupt and said we want to. We're going bankrupt and we want to sell off all of our, our liquidate our assets. Okay. We're done. Okay. So, um, I mean, it's not the end of the world. 
Well, yeah. I'm not bummed yeah. that a, a, a crappy food is getting off the market. It's just interesting but the, I, you know, well, the tendencies well, that we'll are... we'll have to see what crappy foods, which of their foods actually go away and which get purchased by other companies. Yeah. Because if another snack food company thinks they can... Thinks these foods are popular, which I don't. I don't. I mean, there's a, a sort of a debate on on the internet talking about whether somebody will buy their brands or not. Mm. But it's not that Hostess. I mean, Hostess Twinkies and Ding Dongs and cupcakes. You know, they basically sold themselves. I mean, I don't think a lot of marketing was going to sell more of them. So mm. just because another company bought them, buys them, how are they going to? Are they going to start remarketing them to who? I mean, people don't want to buy these things anymore. Reinvent the Twinkie. It's one of those things. These are like obvious. These are the the most obvious foods for somebody to not eat. It's like no one, people don't eat Twinkies because they know they're bad for you. Like you can sort of kid yourself that. Like a a Snickers bar is good for you because it's got peanuts. No, but it's it's just candy. You know, it's like it's candy and it's like one little candy bar. And you know you're not supposed to eat candy, but it's for dessert. People don't go, I'm going to have a dessert. I'm going to have a Twinkie. Twinkie is like a, you know, Twinkies and cupcakes. They're like They're like in between like, meals? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Well, don't you also think in America with the coming of the coffee culture, because you really didn't have anything like that like 20 years ago. No. People are more likely to go into a coffee shop and get a brownie. Yes, or... and all of those things. Even though, whether you can argue whether those things are good or not, mm-hmm. they are all better than a Twinkie, a Ding Dong. Or a I cookie. think somebody like, a, I guess a year ago, was talking about a high school teacher that had put a Twinkie on top of a blackboard. And it was still staying the same outside of the wrapper for like the last 30 years. Like, I don't know how accurate this is. It could be folklore, but. Well, I don't think, I, it probably got dried out though. Probably got like yeah. petrified or something, yeah. but it's, it was still, it didn't go bad. No. And ants didn't come and eat it. <laughs> no, but there was also that lady who did that similar experiment with a, a hamburger from McDonald's and French fries from McDonald's. And uh, they did a more scientific study of that later and determined that it was the airflow around it dried it out faster than it could have rotted. Okay. And, and then they demonstrated that you could do the same thing with almost any food. Okay. Of that. So it wasn't really the chemicals in it that was protecting it. So it's probably the same thing as a Twinkie in this area. But they have taken Twinkies, kept them in the wrapper, and put them like put them away somewhere where it's you know decent environment. And they were still soft and squishy. Yeah. And apparently edible. Yeah. Since somebody ate it. <laughs> like years, <laughs> years later. So. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That reminds me of that. Uh, so it's not real cream filling, I'm guessing. Yeah. Well, nobody buys those things kidding themselves that they're real. It's just uh, when something like a, a big company making a, you know, an artificial product gets off the market and yay, more space for real food. Um, what's making me sad, though, is that most people won't say, hey, uh, no more Twinkies, let's go to the farmer's market or let's make some soup. Uh, most people are just going to go get their thing from a bakery. Yeah. You well, know, it'll be and- interesting to see. I mean, if somebody picks up, the, I mean, I think for a while the Twinkie will make a little temporary comeback just they'll because, go on ebay for yeah. like 10 bucks a piece yeah. just because people think they're going to go away maybe they will yeah. we don't know okay 
So, cool stuff so far. Uh, I don't think we have any other uh, news uh, tidbits that we've been talking about. Um, just sort of things that we've been curious about. Uh, Thanksgiving is in a couple of days, and uh, we'll be traveling up to uh, Santa Barbara for yeah. a few days. With, so, yeah, um, so, today is Sunday, so it's yeah, the we're, next... we're recording on Sunday. Is it so. Sunday? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, it is. It's almost Sunday. Sunday enough. Yeah. Sunday somewhere. And... Uh, We'll be we'll be gone for um, a part of this week. Looking forward to uh, some hiking and uh, some uh, walking on the beach up in Santa Barbara. It's beautiful there. Hopefully, we'll have good weather. Uh, but with Thanksgiving coming, uh, I put up an article on thefitting.com. Uh, and if you haven't read it, it's called uh, "How to Be a Party Animal" or "How to Be a Smart Party Animal." There you go. Um, but the whole uh, the whole point was. Uh, more and more of my clients have been uh, frustrated uh, slash terrified that the holidays are coming. And um, it starts in the U.S. with uh, Halloween, I think, uh, back home in Bulgaria. It starts a little bit later. But here it starts like end of October. And then it goes on with Thanksgiving, which is end of November, and then Christmas, which is end of December. And so you have almost like two and a half months of... Uh, candies and parties and um, all sorts of events um, focused around food. And so um, we've been talking more about strategies to um, do well around those holidays. So uh, if you go on thefitting.com, you'll be able to uh, read those again if you uh, read them or read them for the first time. If you didn't read them, uh, I personally find that uh, those strategies listed there really help. Uh, Roland shared with me that... Um, he was reading something cool by uh, Chris Kresser, who we respect very much. Yeah, and the reason Chris Kresser wrote – he wrote an article called Three Things You Can Do. Okay. To, to For Thanksgiving specifically or the holiday, holiday season? I think it was holiday weight gain. Okay. Um, just, you know, fight off holiday – three tips to fight off holiday weight gain or something. But um, he linked to a study – it was it was a little bit old, but I don't see any reason why it would have been any less relevant today than it would be back then. That talked about the weight gain of over the holidays, and it was uh, basically estimated. Asked people to estimate how much they would they would gain and lose, and then compared it to reality. And they found that people overestimated how much they actually gained. But then when they actually went and studied. What did these people really gain? Mm -hmm. Some of them gained, uh, I think they gained on average, um, nine pounds. Okay, nine, so nine, nine pounds. So nine or ten pounds over the holiday season. And, you know, so then, but then they said, well, the good news is that they would, they lost by. Like end of February, end I of think February, they said. Like they nine of them. Lost nine like of, nine of those ten pounds, which means you've got one left. You know, yeah. you've, you've gained a pound. Which doesn't seem like it's that bad, but this happened to all to all sexes and all age groups in the study. They studied two hundred people. Wow! In a health related field where these people are more more aware. more aware of what they do. So here's a you know these are health professionals. Wow! Right? And they gained ten pounds and you know only and then lost nine. So that with and in all ages. So what? Because of the all ages thing, what it indicates, and all weights. So if they're already overweight, it happened. Mm. If they were thin, it happened. So if you kind of imagine 
you know, the older the people, the more overweight they were as well. So this is a, sort of a cycle on repeat. So year after year, if you gain 10 and lose 9, gain 10, lose 9, gain 10, lose 9, you know, you're gaining weight over, over the years. Now, we don't know how much weight they might have gained throughout the rest of the year, but it, it's an interesting thing that it's not just that they don't lose the weight, but they looked at um, the, a principle called the set point, where if you spend too much time at a higher weight or too much time at a lower weight, your body sort of adapts to that weight and makes it harder to harder to change. So these people, it wasn't that they, uh, well, you know, I, I gained 10 pounds and ah, nine's good enough. They couldn't lose that extra, it, you know. It became so, harder. Yeah. Sort so, of like after pregnancy for some people. Yeah. So I think that what that says to me is it's important to keep your weight under control. Like, don't say, I will, nah, I'm going to start next week. I have yeah. these three holiday parties. Ah, you know, I'm going to gain it anyway, or it's too hard to lose it. And it's too hard to, to fight off these parties, but I'll just lose it afterward. It's yeah. Not that, it's not that easy. What was Chris Kresser's tips for uh, Thanksgiving? I well, think they were not along the usual tips. Well, Chris Kresser is a paleo. He typically recommends the paleo diet in general, which is, okay. you know, avoiding grains and legumes and dairy for the most part. And, um, you know, lower carb, not low carb. So it's sort of a real food approach. Um, but his tips weren't really in there. His tips were more along the line of, um, first of all, it was make sure to move more, like move around more, um, take walks in between meals, be active, or especially active during the holidays. And... Another tip was to consciously eat less, which um, which I think is also a good idea. Like one piece of pie instead of four? Stop at 80% full. Don't over, I mean, these are just like one meal. This is like one meal or it's a party and you don't have to eat until you're overly full. If you're going to eat foods that are off your plan, you know, don't eat as many of them. That's de it's decent advice. You can argue that it might be a problem, but still decent advice and then the last one was and this i think this is the most important one is you know cut back on sp some specific things which is sugary foods salty foods um overly flavorful stimulating foods which in, a lot of times might be like cookies chips with a lot of you know salt and seasoning dips dips because these are foods that are, they're not only really easy to overeat and, but they also stimulate your appetite in ways that make you want to eat more. It's sort of the Lay's potato chip thing. You can't just eat one. Well, a, a good example is we, we love sweet potatoes at home. Yes. And, uh, we'll do like baked sweet potatoes. And if it's a plain sweet potato, you can't really keep eating and keep eating and keep eating. But if it's a sweet potato with salted butter or sour cream and bacon bits, now you want more. So it's sort of um, that point at which um, fl some flavors may just uh, stimulate your appetite. Yeah, and it's not just that you want more of that thing. I mean, you, you might, 
want more sweet potato with butter and salt or more potato. But what happens is now your mind has been triggered to want more salty, sweet, savory, like more food, period. more of these delicious foods. So you're going to be, you know, searching the covers or searching your mind or looking at the buffet line for more of foods that have those qualities, even if they're not the same food. Yeah, and I recently wrote an article on in Bulgarian for for those of you that uh, read my articles in Bulgarian. The, f- the few of you <laughs> listening to this, <laughs> both um, of you, both of you, <laughs> talking to um, talking about um, the Shangri La diet that was made um, famous about six seven years ago um, by uh, author Seth Roberts, uh, whose whole theory in that book is that by eating things that are not flavorful your body's more likely to lose uh, appetite and lose pounds easier by uh, lowering your set point. And by eating foods that are more flavorful, uh, it's more likely to um, raise your set point and stimulate your appetite. And I feel like there is truth there with real food, where if you eat more plain real food, it's harder to overeat than if you purposefully, you know, do the French cuisine, one stick of butter on everything uh, type of cooking. We're more likely to just want more because it's so good. And don't get me wrong, food is supposed to taste amazing. Uh, it's just when not that amazing <laughs> when when you know that you're going to be in an environment where it's already going to be hard to say no. Maybe uh, dipping lobster tail in extra butter uh, is not what you need right now around the holidays. And and didn't people sort of comment negatively on that article you said? Yeah, some people ne- commented negatively saying, oh, well, you might as well be the USDA talking about the food pyramid, telling them to eat less and move more. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, the thing is that they're not, he's not saying eat less and move more all the time. I mean, that's not his regular advice. This mm-hmm. is a holiday article. So what you're saying is, hey, you're worried about gaining weight. It's really important not to gain weight. You are my regular clients, my regular readers, who are already supposedly eating a healthy diet, like I've been recommending. What I'm asking you to do during this holiday season, specifically when you go to these parties or event, family events, is eat a little less than you want and move around a little bit more. Because it's going to, you know, it's it's something different. So eating less and moving more is not a very good strategy for weight loss, if, because it's, that it doesn't give enough specifics. More, how much more? How do you know you're continuing to move more? You don't know. How do you know you're really eating less if you, unless you're measuring it and weighing it and, and tracking? I mean, you don't. But for short periods of time, it does work. I mean, I've, when I first started to lose weight, I went to the gym. I didn't count anything. All I did was the treadmill and it worked mm. for, um, for a couple weeks. I did lose weight. But then it sort of tapered off because, you know, your appetite picks up or... Well, and there's this thing called homeostasis uh, where your body's always going to try to achieve an equilibrium of, you know, energy in and energy out. And we're ultimately very good survival machines. I mean, that's... If that was not the case, all of us would walking would be walking mm-hmm. around with six packs and would all be on the cover mm-hmm. of Men's Health. Yeah. So the other thing and Women's Health. Yes, the other thing these people were complaining about was he because he is a pro, you know, he's a lower carb, pro fat, dietary fat person because these things are very healthy. The uh-huh. Extra, you know, having the, the higher fat is healthy. However, having higher sugar is not healthy. So he's higher carb, I mean, lower carb. Higher fat, yeah. Re- general recommendation, 
But one of his things was like, don't douse this in butter. Like, don't douse your sweet potatoes in butter and salt. And he's also one of those guys that says salt is not him, not yeah. a bad guy. So, so these people come in and like, well, what are you talking about? This is ridiculous advice. You're telling people to eat low fat and, uh, you know, and low salt and low salt. You're going to kill you know, them. Yeah. This, you're, you know, you're, you're not good advice, but he's trying to say is what you're trying to do is make the food not so rewarding. Mm. That's going to make you go back to the buffet line and get back to your, or your family's, you know, dinner table again for more and more and more. And, you know, pretty soon you're going to have to, you wish you wore your eating pants. Well, and then you have this vicious circle uh, where you overeat and then you feel bloated and you don't feel good and your insulin goes up. So your energy gets sapped and then you don't feel like moving. So maybe that day, instead of your regular, you know, six miles, you just walked one mile. And then the next day you wake up and you decide to skip breakfast because you ate too much the day before. But now by the time it's lunch, you're ravenous and somebody shows up with your favorite pastry. So what are you going to do? Say no to your grandma? No. And then, you know, you you hang out and watch a football game or a movie or or you go to the movies or what have you. And so pretty soon you're not only overeating at the holidays, but you're also not moving enough. And... um if if you go back to my article um, on the fitting, um, the one with the cupcake as an icon, uh, you'll be able to uh, kind of remind yourself those things. Not because those things are uh, evolutionary, you know, they're like evolutionary, revolutionary. <laughs> revolutionary. They're evolutionary and revolutionary. Not because they're revolutionary, but because those are things that if you keep at the forefront of your mind, they're going to work. And uh, you can't look at those strategies and say, oh, that's stupid. You can say, yeah, I know this. I'm not doing it, but I know it. And, and maybe try to practice, not just know. That was like, whoosh. Yeah. yeah. Can we ask her some questions now? Do you want to answer some sure. questions? Sure. So we got, um, we got a couple of comments on our podcast uh, in emails and uh, on, the, on the website. And uh, Monica... Uh, had a question about uh, could we talk a little bit more um, about stress reduction. And I kind of want to do a whole podcast on that. Uh, but just to answer her really briefly, um, I can I can just say the biggest thing that I have done and that I, I try to get my clients to do is um, to become more aware of what goes on in their lives. And I'm not talking like uh, new agey type awareness or ohm type awareness stuff. Um, but just stop reacting and try to observe a little bit more. Um, in When we talk about stress, um, stress is something that we say happens to us. Like, that guy stresses me out. Or, oh, I have so much stress work is, at work. Work is crazy. I'm under so much stress. Yes. Like, like it's something that just falls on your head. But it, semantically, that's not correct. Because stress, by definition, is your reaction to something. So, something happens in your environment. And so, you react to it. And your reaction is, um, f 
from from evolutionary standpoint, it's something that should help you adapt to those changing environments so that you become better fitted to them. But you have positive stress and you have negative stress. For example, if you exercise and your muscle gets bigger, that's a positive adaptation to the stress of working out. But if you exercise and you start getting, um, you know, palpitations and uh, high blood pressure and you start fainting, you know, that's a little bit too much. You did too much. So that's negative stress. In the same way, what we call stress nowadays is something that we perceive as ruining our quality of life, as something that makes life harder to live or harder to adapt to. Um, around the holidays, many people are too stressed out trying to buy people gifts or um, buy big gifts or run and do errands or try to get something done earlier because it's going to be a short work week. Or they're anticipating the problems that they, the arguments that they always get in with their parents or with yes. their siblings. Felt, you know. So holidays are a, a high stress time um, just just because of, of how people are um, always in a hurry and, and everybody trying to get things done. But what I'm trying to, to, to tell Monica is try to start observing like an outside observer the things that happen in your life and find out where are you reacting to your circumstances in a way that you have some conscious control over. For example, if you're in a traffic jam and you can see the red light and you can see the numbers go down, there's no need stressing out the the countdown numbers on the red light. This is down. a special thing in Bulgaria. Yeah, we, we have like have a counter. Countdown. It's like a racetrack. Yeah, it's awesome. They have it in Korea too. All the most developed countries in the world have it. So, uh, yeah, you have it here on the crosswalks. You have it for pedestrians. Yeah, those, are, those are pretty new. Yeah, but you don't have it for the cars. But if you're sitting in a traffic jam and you're seeing that, you know, the red light's there. You're in your car. And the cars aren't going anywhere. You are in a traffic jam. At this point, using your energy to go, oh crap, I'm in a traffic jam. This is so stupid or this is so stressful. Or, Look, I'm late. Or, oh, what am I going to do with this? Is really a way for you that you're reacting to what's going on around you that's causing more stress in your system than is necessary. So... Could you do something else instead? Um, one technique that I find very useful is trying to bring myself back to using the basic senses. Like try to smell what your car smells like. Hopefully that's something good. <laughs> right? Or um, try to hear the music you in your car. <laughs> You're funny. Or something that you can hear, whether it's birds outside or it's the music on your radio. Then try to touch something. Try to get your tactile senses back. You can touch your jeans or touch the fabric of your um, of your steering wheel or whatever it is, just to try to get in touch with what you can feel with with your hands. And then you can try to notice something in your environment. Maybe notice the plate number on the car in front of you. Just using the senses, your sense of smell, your auditory sense, your your vision, and uh, your tactile sense to kind of bring yourself to the present moment 
and maybe even pay attention to your breathing a little bit, which is going to lower your perception of how stressful the situation is. It's going to quiet your mind a little bit. You can also start um, noticing, are there situations where you're habitually reacting uh, with huffing and puffing and being stressed out or being in a hurry when you have a different option? Um, are you getting in arguments out of habit, not necessarily because that they have to be there? So be observing of how you react to situations around you. See if you can bring yourself to your um, basic senses in those situations and see if that can help a little bit. Um, also setting aside quiet time in your day, whether it's five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes with nothing to do is uh, also a really, really important um, stress reduction strategy that uh, can work very, very well because we're so caught in doing stuff all the time that uh, we don't even have a baseline of what not being stressed out feels like. So uh, people that will practice yoga and meditation um, or some sort of a mindfulness practice uh, will have a baseline so they will know what normal feels like and then when they get too stressed out um, it, it sort of tells them there's something there's like a little bell that rings and says hey you're you're in la la land you, you shouldn't be here go back to your normal does it make sense Roland mm, yeah I'm just hoping it's not too hippie voodoo um, no but if it is um, what I would say I don't really have any a lot of you know techniques for reducing stress at the moment like when it, when it's happening, you mm-hmm. can cover that pretty well. Other than, you know, those of you who are my age will remember the primal scream therapy that was so popular in the 70s and the early 80s. Um, but you might want to roll your car window up if you're doing that. If you're going to be screaming. You're screaming, in yeah. <laughs> I don't know how effective it is either, so it's, it, it does seem well, relaxing. There's nothing relaxing about screaming per no, se. Afterward, you're like, it's like yeah. you let it out. It's like, yeah, letting uh, letting emotions. If you interrupt me again, we're gonna see how well this works, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. um, but what I would last week we talked about the whole tipping point theory. Yeah. Last two weeks ago, and I'll remind you that all your body doesn't always know the difference between one stress and another. So if there and so if you. Keep that in mind. And also the, one of the mantras that we talked about was control what you can control and manage the rest or minimize the rest, right? So there are things that are outside of or either outside of your stress, stresses that are outside of your control or they're so big that it's going to take you a lot of time to manage them down. Like if you have a huge work project that's going to be months, you know, if you can't find out a way to let the stress go and you know that it's going to be with you, you don't want to stress about not being able to, not being able to let that stress go. But what you have to do is, so if you can't really get, get rid of that or minimize this right now, you need to look at the other aspects of your life. What other things can you do that are in your control that you, going to reduce that you can the reduce point? your total stress? Mm-hmm. So this is the time, even though you're stressed, this is the time to make sure you're getting enough sleep. Not necessarily more sleep, because mm-hmm. if you're already getting eight hours and that's enough, you know, adding an extra hour might not do any any good. Might make it worse because now you're you're trying to sleep. I can't sleep. It's mm-hmm. too much. Um, 
There's um, cleaning up your diet a little bit, not necessarily eating less because, you know, going on a strict diet and being it's hungry, be extra that's stress. But so you can, might eat the right amount of meat. Maybe this isn't the right time for a diet, mm-hmm. like a, a fat loss diet. Um, but maybe this is the right time to clean up the clean up the actual foods, hmm. you know, eliminate junk foods. You, you don't necessarily have to get rid of that amount of calories, but just realize that bad foods, there are bad foods, they are stressors to your body. It takes, uh, you know, people get indigestion from some foods. That's a stress. You can get inflammation from foods that have yeah. the wrong ingredients in them. If you're lactose intolerant, you know, do you, is... Having a bowl of ice cream when you're stressed going to help? Or would you rather have a dessert that you know is not going to cause you gas? Because that gas is just a sign, is one sign. Mm-hmm. But when you lactose intolerant and you have that food, or if you're weed intolerant and you have that food, it causes all sorts of stress that you feel and you react to. Yeah. Well, that's making me think about um, also how at times of stress you're more likely to isolate yourself. And we know that social life and relationships and hugs and giggles and uh, parties are important. You know, having fun is an important way to de-stress. And when you think of um, having uh, an important project, you're you're more likely to be really focused on that and forget about having fun. So um, also thinking about that aspect of are you going to be a total stress case or are you going to control what you can control, manage the rest, and you know, let higher powers take care of uh, of everything, of everything else. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, I think oftentimes uh, we we almost get in the habit of being victims of our circumstances. And then there's so much that we can do, whether actively or through our mindset and through our perspective on a situation um, that you know it, it, it could change a whole lot. Um, if you're brave enough to uh, to venture that way, uh, we have we have time for one more question, and that uh, it came from a client of mine last week. Uh, we had our, our weekly call, and um, he was like, "You know what? I'm I'm noticing that I'm very hungry at lunch. All of a sudden, the last week, I've been super hungry at lunch, and uh, I just go for seconds." Um, at the buffet. What has he done differently? What's been different about his breakfast? Well, that's what I asked. Like that was, that was my first thing because he'd been doing well. Um, we started in the, how much did he weigh? Let me convert to pounds. So like, I want to say like 300 pounds when we started and he lost like a good 30 pounds and things were going well over the last couple of months. And, now all of a sudden his appetite starts going up at lunch and I'm like, well, that's really bizarre because I've been looking at his logs and things were, you know, pretty, pretty stable week to week. And so my first question was your first question, like, what changed at breakfast? And he said, well, I've been really busy. So I haven't had time to make breakfast. So he went from having a few eggs for breakfast with maybe some sausage or bacon or some vegetables. Uh, or some ham, to having literally like an ounce of ham, just like a little piece, so he's not completely on an empty stomach. Like or like it out of the refrigerator. Yeah, or like an ounce of cheese. Just like something like a small bite, like a matchbox size um, 
piece of meat or cheese so that he wouldn't have his coffee on an empty stomach. And so it's a big guy. He's mm-hmm. like even now after losing weight, he's still he's still tall and uh, um, he still has some weight to lose. So he's heavy, and by lunch he's already ravenous. So having his regular portion is not enough. So he was going back for seconds, and he was worried that he was failing his diet. And even though I had told him how important it is to have breakfast and to to try to have at least you know twenty five thirty grams of protein with breakfast. It completely escaped his mind, so he thought he was blowing his diet. He was like, I'm worried that I'm really going to blow it. I'm not going to be able to stay on this. And it just comes to show how sometimes we have the simplest answers to some of, of, of our clients' questions, where he said, why am I so hungry? Why am I blowing my diet? And it was a simple answer, luckily. You know, you're just not eating breakfast. And we fixed it, and he started eating bigger breakfasts, and his appetite's back to normal. I think that there can be some confusion, because, you know, for many, many years, they've always, everyone's talked about how breakfast is so important, and, you know. Yeah. Right? But now, I mean, if you read on the internet, Mm, there's people intermittent fasting every day. fasting, people are now, now realizing that breakfast all to itself is not, is not critical for everybody. Yeah, and I've some, gone, I've gone periods, I've gone seasons where for months and months I won't have breakfast. Yes, well, I don't eat breakfast, as you yeah. know, right? And, but on the days, the rare days when I do, once I have something to eat, now I have to eat again in like three or four hours. Mm. So if I don't have breakfast, I don't have anything to eat, I can go all the way till lunch and I'm not starving. It's like mm. nothing has started my appetite. Nothing's triggered my appetite to, or stimulated my appetite. But if I had a matchbox, because I've tried it, I've been like a little bit hungry. I've been somewhere where they, they're serving some little snacks. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, there's some pieces of cheese. I'll have a couple pieces of cheese. Um, one time I remember I had a hard, one hard boiled egg. What? One. Like a girl. Yeah. So, so 70 calories of hard boiled egg. And within like three hours, I was starving. Dying. And it was in the middle of a meeting. I'm like, oh. My stomach's well, going crazy. Digestion yeah. kicks in, so but for only one egg, so that's not enough yeah. energy to keep you going, but it's enough to tell your body that food's coming. It's enough and to piss you off. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but but I like I like bringing these um, super simple uh, questions sometimes uh, up for discussion because it doesn't have to be a supernatural reason why you're hungry at lunch. You're not blowing your diet. Usually the answer could be very, very simple, and it could be very close to you. Yeah. Well, it's, I had a similar question um, a couple of weeks ago where um, my the questioner had provided what she thought was the whole answer. Oh, I'm getting a blood sugar surge and then a blood sugar drop, and all these, it was like super complicated. And um, the reality was that um, the season had changed and mm-hmm. she had switched from, she would always had um, like um, like a half an apple, like a, uh, these little small, like a Trader, we have a Trader Joe's and they have really small apples, mm-hmm. like little green apples. She had been having an apple and some eggs and cheese for breakfast every morning. Okay. All right. So suddenly she switched. The apples weren't around anymore. Those mm-hmm. apples. Suddenly, she switched to bananas. So a banana, a whole banana, some the little green apple to a whole banana, and she doesn't like bananas with eggs. 
Uh, okay. So she had yogurt. <laughs> Who does? Yes. So she had yo. So she had went switched to a banana with plain yogurt. Okay. But, but then with a little bit of honey drizzled on it. Oh my! Right? Yeah. So protein way down, carbs yeah, way so up. Proteins way down, and it was all low fat. There was no. It was like non-fat yogurt, and you know. Yeah. So like. But a bunch of sugar, a bunch of, you know, carbs. Well, unless you're very high, t- you have a high tolerance for yeah. carbs. This is a recipe for yeah. for a disaster. Yes, yes. Yeah. She does not. Yeah. Right. So she, you know, oh, my blood sugar must be this because I'm not eating. I'm like, like wait, you went from, what, 22 so, well, grams of yeah. protein and <clears throat> 10 so grams of fat. So she just didn't really think about it. And it's one of those things where I don't like people to count calories and count macros so much, but you kind of have to know what's in your, the food you're eating. Because she you went do. from, uh, this, these apples are small. It was probably like a, she's probably eating 40 calories mm-hmm. from this apple to 120 because she picked the big bananas. Because yeah. at Trader Joe's, all the bananas are the same price. So yeah. she bit the, better bit the big one because that's the same price sure. as the small one. 19 cents. So it's the big one. It's like probably 120, 140 calories if you get a really deluxe banana. (laughs) And then a whole bunch of, you know, zero fat yogurt. Yeah. And then some honey. Yeah, bring it on. Yeah. Bring it on. And she didn't measure the honey either because it's really hard to get it out of the tablespoon, she said. I know. You know, so. I know. So she squirted it all over. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, and, and it's not about nitpicking. It, it's about noticing how different foods affect you. No, and she was right. There was a blood sugar. Patch, yeah, but. that's true. <laughs> but changing from one food to to another food, you know, can can totally can totally do that for you. Um. So I think that that's that's pretty much. Um. That's pretty much it for this week. We've, uh, we've, we've kind of pushed our 60 minutes, uh, of, uh, yeah. of radio time. And, um, we've talked about some news. We've covered some questions. Uh, we've, uh, given you some Thanksgiving wisdom. And, uh, for those of you that don't celebrate Thanksgiving, just use it against your, uh, Christmas advice. And right now, uh, in, in, in Orthodox Bulgaria, uh, some people are starting their, uh, before Christmas fast. Mm. So it's going to be a, a good couple of months with no animal products. And um, Wait, when does that start? Is there a date? Um, yeah, it's usually like the middle of November. It should have already started. I think it or it's already started, and um, it's a good couple of months with uh, with no animal products. And it's a very good chance to uh, really educate yourself about uh, properly prepared legumes and and grains, since they're a, a major part of uh, of that. Um, type of diet, which is about 100 days out of the Orthodox uh, Christian calendar. Well, I would imagine is, a lot of times, that. if you don't know how to cook, and you don't, or you don't have a cookbook, and you don't know how to properly shop, a lot of your, if you if you cut out meat for breakfast, you switch to a pastry, and something it's tough. like that, right? It's, it, it's tough. You, you have to switch to, to some sort of a, of a no-animal no product pastry, or, or bread, or, or breadsticks, or, or whatever. So you go immediately from eat. a diet that has a decent amount of protein, just the diet lower, that's mostly grain. Yeah, lower protein. And, and, and it's hard. Uh, I've done uh, no grains with a couple of my clients that fasted. And uh, this is just a cool reminder to uh, polish up on your uh, vegan cooking skills and uh, um, just see what what best you can you can make out of the the next couple of months and it it's good to switch things up uh, i believe that there's uh ancient uh 
Because we call it ancestral wisdom uh, in those um, things. And if you, so if you're going to go whatever, if you're going to go vegan or vegetarian, you know, don't just think of it as I have to have foods that don't have these things. Yeah. It's not that simple. You have to look at foods that have the things that you still need outside of the realm of the animal products. Yeah. So you still need to have protein. You still need to have healthy sources of fat, mm-hmm. you know, so you need to get all these things. It's not as simple as going, um, going into a store and saying, Oh, Hey, what here doesn't have meat? Yeah. The French you know? fries. Yes. <laughs> the bread. Yeah. Um, cheese, cheese pizza. If you're going to be, uh, well, that's, that's not going to work on a fast tofu. Tofu pizza. Tofu pizza. Tofurky. Um, but, but anyways, good luck to all of those, uh, people back home that are, uh, fasting. And, uh, if you have any questions, shoot them up on the fitting or, um, on our Facebook page or, uh, personally in emails to us. We'd love to hear back from you. And now that we're on iTunes, um, hopefully subscribe there and, um, write a review, a review on iTunes as well. Is that easy to do? It is. Well, it's, yes, if you've written a couple of reviews on iTunes, it's pretty easy, but I had to Google how to do it because oh, I couldn't yeah. find it. And the key is to go to the Facebook, I mean, the, the iTunes page for that podcast. Okay. And then you see all the episodes listed and then you have to page down or scroll down farther and it'll say, if there's no reviews yet, it'll say, you know, write, write the first review. Okay. And uh, you can give it. So can I have numbers. to scroll down? Yeah, I got to scroll down. Okay. I'm like looking at that page going, I don't understand. How can I possibly? There's nothing to click here. And I Googled it and it's like, oh, you got to scroll down. Okay. So go to iTunes, find uh, our episode one or two, scroll down and uh, be so kind as to write a nice review. And if it's not very nice, uh, spare us. Give us some constructive criticism <laughs> over here, yeah. you know. On the blog post or something. It, it's going to be a while until we get the hang of this and uh, start editing. Uh, but, um, hey, we're practicing and having fun, and hopefully you're uh, you're laughing with us. Yeah, someday I'd like to have some music, some, like, entry music or some closing music or something. Yeah, well, But you can't just take music from somebody, because that's... We'll make it fancy. We have we music. We have somebody that we know that, like, writes something. Yeah, we can we have should have got that guy at the farmer's market who was playing the sitar. The coolest thing ever. We go to the, okay, this is totally, you can stop listening or keep listening. Uh, this is like totally off topic. off topic and behind the scenes. Um, we go to the farmer's market today and, um, there's this guy, this Indian dude. Hipster. With, like an with, Indian hipster. With like this totally crazy curly hair and this totally crazy outfit that's really hard to describe. Play. Like a hat from like the cool guy, like like the cool guys from like the 30s in the United States, and like, like an like, Indian outfit. The rest of him down, playing the sitar, and I never seen a sitar in person. It, it was, was like huge. it was like Ravi Shankar just sitting in the. And it's got like like it, ten strings and these big metal crazy metal things going across it, and he's connected to uh you know a woofer and speakers and he's got like some super like tribal beats going behind him and he's playing the sitar and here we are in southern california and all of a sudden the farmer's market is transformed from like a regular farmer's market with like the regular country guy playing to this super exotic almost like tales of the arabian nights type of place it was so cool but in india 
but in India. Yeah. But it was just, it was just so cool. So and the funniest thing was, like, we're sitting there, we're <laughs> listening to it because it was pretty good. It was good. I think it's hard to tell sometimes whether whether sitar is good or not. Yeah, we're but not we're that not amazing music uh, yeah. connoisseurs. So it may have been awesome. And suddenly, Gary goes, "This is this is somewhere over the rainbow." I think. Yeah. You listen from it. Yeah. Yeah, it I was, it is. and it was the tune of Somewhere Over the Rainbow with a sitar and some tribal beats. No way to tell what it is. And it was just so neat. And you could hear that guy, and that's the biggest farmer's market in Orange County. It's, it's pretty large. Um, I don't know. It probably takes you a good hour to, to walk it. And you could hear it. It was very well, uh, the acoustics was, was really yeah, cool. Was and everybody, like, people that go to farmer's markets don't go there to listen to music and tip. Like, everybody was tipping that guy. It was so neat to watch it. And uh, we bought some crazy stuff. Uh, we got dragon fruit, which uh, we decided tasted like coleslaw. So <laughs> we either got some really unripe dragon fruit and... and um you know, we it's just have beautiful to, and exotic looking. It's beautiful. It it's this pink. beautiful pink exterior, super like magenta fluorescent interior, and it's it, like from a science fiction movie, yeah, like fruit or something. It has the texture of a kiwi, uh, but it kind of tastes like cabbage at the front end, and and like something remotely sweet at the back end, with chia seeds sprinkled on it. Yes, so it was. It was bizarre. It was probably not the best dragon fruit we could have eaten. So we'll see if we can get uh, more and see if if it tastes different than coleslaw. Yeah, we're gonna tomorrow. We're gonna see our friend Greg, who is a member of the Rare Fruit Growers Association. He's a master guard, Orange County master gardener, and we're going to ask him his opinion. Yeah. Maybe we'll even take this dragon. Fruit. We got two. Yeah, we Let's ate take one. This one with us, and we'll say, Greg, is this a fair representation of a dragon fruit? Yeah, because it could be like a, a crappy one, and yeah. then you don't want to be disappointed for the rest of your life. Uh, but we bought that. Persimmons are in season. That we was bought amazing. A lot of persimmons. And we ate most of them already. Yeah. Um, we got some really cool Armenian cucumbers. If you've never tried those, they're really crunchy and uh, delicious. They don't have a lot of cucumber flavor. It's a very short growing season. Yeah, but they're cool. They're cool. Armenian cu- cucumbers are cool. We got kohlrabi. Which now we're gonna try to cook not only the the bottom round part but also the the leaves. We'll see how um how that ends up. And uh, we ate some raw peanuts, which I remember since I was little that you're not supposed to do that. So I just ate two. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I did not. I they were good. Them with disdain. They were good, but they were they were kind of weird. Raw. No. Raw and peanutty. So, um, check out the podcast show notes on thefitting.com so that you can go and get Katie's book on the health of uh, your feet. And, uh, you can go check out Chris Kresser's article on Thanksgiving and, uh, check out the Wall Street Journal, um, flats. All this other change stuff. and all this other stuff about Prop 37. We have a lot of show notes this time. So, uh, it'll be, it'll be fun for Roland to put those up for you. So thank you for listening. You are awesome. And uh, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving.